Welcome to this verse-by-verse Bible teaching from Calvary Queen Creek in Arizona with Pastor Jim Remington. We hope you're blessed by listening. Romans 10.17 says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. For more information, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org. You can turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and I'm going to read something, as I mentioned last week, and it ties in perfectly with Paul's explanation of being a Christian will bring, especially if we're not a secret Christian, which you should not be a secret Christian, it could bring persecution, could bring trials and tribulations. Well, as I mentioned that last week, uh, this happened, I think, on Monday. And so I copied it. I'm sorry I didn't put the date down. I have the other information. Opposing biological males in women's sports cost me my job as Austin's fire chaplain. And so this chaplain here, this pastor, he actually started the chaplaincy program at the Austin Fire Department. So he says... I'm an ordained minister who served as the city's lead chaplain in a volunteer capacity for eight years, providing support to the 1,400 1400 uniform and civilian members of Austin's Fire Department. My role was to show up for them anytime, anywhere. A 24-7 resource firefighters could call upon when they were struggling. The stress firefighters experience can negatively affect their physical, emotional, and spiritual well-being, and I was also called to the scene of firefighters' deaths. Tragically, some in the line of duty and some by their own hand. During these times of grief, I was there for the families, helping them walk through the unimaginable loss. Unfortunately, I'm writing in a past tense because I am no longer a chaplain for the Austin Fire Department. I was fired from my volunteer role because I shared my religious views on my personal blog, views which city officials could not tolerate. The controversial viewpoint that extinguished, what was the controversial viewpoint that extinguished my career? Writing about my religious and common sense view that men and women are biologically different And men should not compete on women's sports teams. Now, our administration is trying to tell us otherwise, but we know science, even though they don't believe in science like they always said they believe, but they don't. They don't believe in science. When city officials demanded that I recant and apologize for the harm my blog post allegedly caused, I explained that my intent was to foster discussion, not cause offense. And that is going away in our culture. We can't, like adults, talk about things anymore. You either believe what they tell you to believe or you're a problem. That's, that's very, very sad. And I apologize if anyone was offended. I could not, however, recant my beliefs or apologize for my faith. But my simple apology wasn't enough. City officials fired me from the volunteer chaplaincy I created. For eight years, I served every firefighter with consistent, compassionate care and equal treatment, no matter who they were, including those in the LGBT community. For eight years, I answered every call voluntarily because I considered it a tremendous honor to support those who sacrificed so much for their community. But all of that meant nothing when I expressed a religious view the city wanted to censor. It's never the job of the government to censor speech based on someone's religious views. 
Yet that's exactly what Austin officials did. They demanded that I comply with their political ideology. And when I refused to fall in line and recant my deeply held religious views, they made me turn in my uniform. So with the legal assistance of Alliance Defending Freedom, I have filed suit against the city of Austin. The years of service I freely and gladly gave to this fire department, the reputation I built of loving and caring for the city's heroes, the families who I wept and prayed with when tragedy struck, all irrelevant because of something I said on my personal writing platform on my personal times. Time. City officials disagree with my viewpoint and used it to end my chaplaincy career and attempt to tarnish my name. So as we look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we learn in chapter 4 that being a Christian may cost us, may cost us something. And here, a man who devoted eight years of his own time, 24-7 volunteering, has been asked to leave because people don't believe and scientifically there are biological males and there are biological females and that all, that's all there is. But that's the agenda to bring America down to get to the one world government, the one world religion, the one world financial system. And so Revelation chapter 13, read your Bibles. We're in the midst of this, guys. You can't hide from this. You can't stick your head in the sand and say, well, it's never going to hit here. It's here. It's here. So be aware be educated, speak the truth in love, speak the truth in love. We don't hate anybody. Jesus doesn't hate anybody. God doesn't hate anybody. For God so loved the world, John three sixteen. This is not about hate. This is about love. We love people enough to speak to them the truth. So speak the truth, but speak it in love and just know that it may cost you. Even as a volunteer, you may no longer be welcomed wherever you're volunteering at. Well, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 as we press on, for we know that if our earthly house, this tent is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation, which is from heaven. If indeed heaven been clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we who are in this tent groan, being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed, that mortality may be swallowed up by life. Now, he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has also given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always confident, knowing that while we're at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, yes, well, please, rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for these days we're living in. Such exciting days. These are biblical days. And so, Father, we pray, fill us with your Holy Spirit that we will take a stand, that others might know, that others might see that there is a God who loves them. There is a God who is loving, but he is also a God who is just. And when he judges, he judges rightly because he sees the heart. And so, Father, I thank you and praise you. I, we pray for anyone in this room that does not know Jesus as their Savior, that they would realize today that they are a sinner in need of a Savior, that they would repent, that they would turn to you, God, and they would ask Jesus to be their Savior at the end of this service. Lord, I pray for the gift of teaching and that we would take every thought captive 
Whatever's going on this afternoon, we'd wait till then. Whatever's taking place, we'd lay it down and we'd right now focus on your word in these few minutes in eternity. Shape us and mold us into your son's image. In Jesus' name, amen. So going back to verse one, chapter five, if you're newer visiting, we're going through books and so we find ourselves in 2 Corinthians chapter five. For we know that if our earthly house is tended to destroy, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Uh, the first thing that I noticed, I don't know if you noticed it, but the first thing that I noticed is it says, for we know. You see, Paul says that he knows. Not that he thinks. Not that he hopes. Yeah, I hope this is right. Not that he wishes, but that he knows. You see, we're going to step into an area that everyone in this world, everyone, atheist, everyone, desires to know about the life hereafter or what's going to happen after I die because the statistics are still amazing. 10 out of 10 people still die. You're here today. You are going to die sooner or later. Do you know where you're going? Do you understand where you're going? Can you be with someone else to comfort them and share with them what your confidence is? that you know verses, that you can take them to verses and say, this is why I know to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. Well, these are some of these verses here. You don't have to go to seminary to do that. You are being equipped on a Sunday morning. That's my role is to disciple you, to mentor you. Can't do it individually. It'd be impossible. So we do it in a large setting. So you go out for the work of the ministry. That's in Ephesians. That's the pastor's role to mentor you, disciple you for the work of the ministry. So even though the Bible makes it perfectly clear what is going to happen after this life is over, people still search high and low in other resources for the answer to that question. And maybe that's even you this morning. Maybe you're sitting here and you really don't know what's going to happen. Well, I hope these verses will reassure you, but also make you more confident in your Christian faith. You see, in these following verses, the Holy Spirit shares with us through Paul exactly what's going to happen after we die, or what I call graduation. And for the Christian, that should bring tremendous peace into their lives. You see, Paul references this body of ours as a temporary dwelling, a temporary dwelling in which most versions of the word of the Bible use the word tent, tent. You know, it's a perfect picture for Paul to use, especially since he was raised as a rabbi. You would raise your sons with an occupation. And so we know from the word of God that Paul, Saul, was a tent maker. So he was very familiar with tents. And tents are great for temporary living when you're out camping for maybe a few days or or maybe a week or two. But tents are typically not designed for permanent dwelling places. You know, they're hard to decorate. They have a tendency to attract mold and mildew, which is not good for our lungs. They fade and deteriorate with the constant changing weather elements. (laughs) They're high maintenance if you're planning on living in them for a long period of time. Now, equate this to human life. You know, pegs start to get lost. Tension lines start to break. Parts of it start to sag. And the zippers lose their efficiency. I mean, it's just... It's just the way it is. 
As Paul has already let us know, this temporal body is falling apart due to the life in general, as well as possible physical persecution. Could you imagine the mental state of this man? Not just physical, because he wasn't stoned or anything like that. But could you imagine being relieved of your duty after devoting eight years, volunteering eight years, sitting with people during the middle of the night, in the afternoon, in the morning, consoling family members of a loved one who has passed, maybe due to self-infliction? Could you imagine everything that this man just went through? This is not an easy thing. We can brush it off. Well, you know, he should have known better. Get on social media. That's not the point. He has a heart. He has emotions. He has feelings. He loves people, all people, just like we do. But this persecution brought tremendous emotional persecution, mental persecution, because he believes in science. He believes in the facts. Well, Paul says here in verse 1 that we have a body waiting for us, designed for God, for use in heaven. We touched on this same some verses a while back in 1 Corinthians 15, 42 through 44. So again, these are some verses you should memorize. Read the whole chapter, all of 15. But I encourage you to memorize these verses. As I go and share with people who are either dying or on their deathbed, I go over these verses. I visit them again, I go over these verses. I visit them again, I go over these verses. Go over and over and over and you will see a peace come upon their souls that no amount of other talk will do. They're not interested in the Arizona Cardinals. They want to know, I am dying. Where am I going? Even Christians. Because unfortunately, a lot of Christians do not have that confidence. So also as a resurrection of the dead, the body... This body, we talked about this last week, is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. Now here's the important verse. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. Now, I'm going to bring to you what I believe, not that I am correct, not that I have a corner on truth, but I'm going to bring to you because a majority of Christianity believes that when you die, your body goes into the grave or into an urn or is spread out somewhere. And when Jesus comes back to the earth, that the body will be raised because only your spirit or soul, there's even a debate about that, is it your spirit or soul that goes to heaven? But Something that goes to heaven is going to then be reunited with this body. Okay, that's fine with me. I I won't argue with anybody about that. That's what a majority of Christianity believes. I just look at the scriptures a little bit differently. Here it says there is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. You see, God used our parents to bring forth our first body having many of the same elements as what? Dirt. Dirt. But upon our death, God is going to use some, temp, not some temporal material. He is going to use an eternal material, specially designed for heaven. You see, Jesus told his disciples in John chapter 14 this. Let not your heart be troubled. You know, he's telling them, I'm going. He's been telling them for three years, but now this is it. Tomorrow's the crucifixion. And they're grieved. They don't understand it. They don't get it. We thought you were the Messiah. We thought you were going to rule and reign over Rome and we were going to rule and reign right alongside of you. 
Do not let your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. Now, I listen, I audio listen, I I enjoy listening to pastors, and I have a a pastor that I love, I've listened to him for years, and it's not heretical, none of that nonsense, I'm not talking bad about him, none of that nonsense, you don't even know who he is. But I was listening to him this week, and he he talked about this verse. And he went into just a three to five minute dissertation on how God is building you a mansion in heaven, that God is specifically building you a mansion in heaven. And I'm going, ah, well... You know, it it says in Genesis on day seven, God rested from all his work. Rested. That means all. All is all. Not some. All. I personally don't believe that Jesus is wearing Home Depot bags. Because some people actually teach under the banner of Christianity. Now, this pastor wasn't teaching this, so, but under the banner of Christianity, you know, depending on how much you do for God will determine what kind of mansion you have. You might have a little dinky one. And everybody's going to walk by and go, oh, he didn't do anything for God. But over on Hallelujah Boulevard, you should see Billy Graham's place. Man, now that is a mansion. I just don't see that. Again, it's just my perspective. Because if we look at verse 1 in chapter 5, again, it's very interesting. And I'm going to replace some words. You see, Jesus and rabbis, as I've mentioned so many times over the years, they use physical analogies to teach a spiritual principle. Physical analogies, and you do it the same, you do the same thing. If, if I talk to you after a minute or two, find out what you do, I could use a physical analogy from your job or from your home life to teach a spiritual principle. It's very easy to do. And so was Jesus literally talking about mansions? Or was he talking about the body? What has Paul been talking about in the last three weeks that we've been studying? The body. But look at verse 5. I'm going to replace some of these words with one word. For we know that if our earthly body, is this a house? Is this a literal house? No, it's a body. It's not a house. Now we have a house a half a mile from here, but this is a body. So Paul is using physical analogies here. For we know that if our earthly body, this body, is this body a tent? You all know what a tent is. Is this a tent? No. It's a great analogy for a tent, but it's not a tent. It's a body. This body is destroyed. We have a body. Is this body a building? No. We're in a building. We've all gathered in a building. But this is not a building. This is a body. We have a body from God, a body not made with hands. Who made our first body? Our dad and mom, via God, obviously, but dad and mom. Again, I'm not going to argue. It's not a doctrinal stance that we should argue about. Just an opinion. You used to do the research yourself. A body not made with hands, and notice this body is what? Eternal in the heavens. So as you tie them all together, it makes a little more sense when Jesus says, I'm going away, I'm preparing a body for you. And then in 1 Corinthians, as you read all of 1 Corinthians 15, you're gonna see it over and over and over again that we're made of dust, we're gonna go back to dust, but we'll take on the spiritual man because the spiritual man can. Read all of 1 Corinthians 15. Again, why is that so important? People want to know what's gonna happen after they die. 
Am I going to become a pudgy little angel with a harp and sit on a cloud? What, what am I going to do? Sounds kind of boring to me. Is there boring? I mean, is there bowling? I've heard so many things at memorial services after I've taught. And I'm just like, oh my goodness. There's going to be golf up in heaven. I didn't know if you knew that or not, but there's a glorious golf course in heaven. I'm like, where did you get that from? Whatever. I mean, that's just, they like golf, so they want golf to be in heaven. Verses two through four. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation, with our body, which is from heaven. Notice it's not from earth. It's from heaven. If indeed having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. Now I look at this verse like if my soul goes to heaven and my body's here on earth, think big here, my soul would be naked because I haven't been clothed yet. Not literally naked like we think of naked, but I haven't taken on my earthly body yet, so I'm walking around in heaven naked. Paul says it right here. If indeed having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. For in this, for we who are in this body groan. Anybody groaning lately? Any of you old people over 30 groaning? <laughs> yeah. And you got to groan to even say it. Yeah, that's me. Being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed that mortality may be swallowed up by life. You know, it's interesting how the older we get, the more we moan and groan. Your, your mind Let's you think that you can still <laughs> do the things that you used to do. You want to throw that up there, Barb? <laughs> no, not that one. But uh, your mind lets you think that you can still do the things you used to do, but your body reassures you that you can't. <laughs> and that's when a leave comes in and <laughs> all that every three hours, switching it on and off. You don't bounce out of bed anymore. It's kind of amazing. You don't bounce out of anything anymore. You kind of sit back and wonder how you did some of those things that you were seeing the younger people do right now. You're watching sports instead of playing them. That's pretty much the norm now. <laughs> even throwing a bowling ball. Like, I cannot even throw a bowling ball anymore. You know, you're supposed to get, uh, <laughs> that hurts my knee. So I get up to the line. I stop at the line. I take the ball and I, huh? <laughs> it's like, it looks weird, but that's the way I have to bowl. It's like, I know some of you are thinking, well, get a knee replacement. Nah, I don't want that yet. I'll get one, but not yet. No, 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 no. You start to think more about your heavenly body and how good it's going to be to not be tired all of the time. How many of you feel, any of you feel tired all of the time? Yeah, man. It's like, yeah, some of you are lying and you're not raising your hand, but that's okay. That's okay. Think you're young. Go ahead. Feel free. That's the brain. Mm-hmm. You see, now Paul, as we just read this in verse 4, not because we want to be unclothed. Paul's not sharing from the perspective of escapism or suicidal tendencies, nor does he encourage anyone to neglect taking care of their bodies. You see, in our society today, taking care of is key versus focusing on. Unfortunately, our society is focusing on the body and less of taking care of the body. It's about the exterior instead of taking care of the interior, especially the eternal. You see, Paul's teaching the Corinthians that there's something far greater coming on this side of heaven, or on, this, on the other side, sorry. Mortality's going to be swallowed up and there's no more death. And since Paul, this is Paul's perspective, it should be our perspective. Didn't bother him. 
You see, here's a question. Are we more concerned about persecution than about the resurrection? This man, Dr. Andrew Fox, was not concerned about the persecution. He was more concerned with the resurrection and leading people to Christ and saying biblically what is a fact. Genetic males, genetic females. It's just the way it is, no matter what our government or anyone else tries to tell us. How about for you? How about for me? Because remember what we went over last week, that poem? Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. At the end of the day, guys, we're visiting right now a gal who's going to be going home shortly. And what a great testimony she has as she shares with us her testimony. And she's talking about how God has blessed her and always been there for her and has always met her. Even when she wasn't following him, she knew he was there. Guys, that's what it's all about in your deathbed. You're not going to be wondering, I wish I could have made another buck. You're not going to be, I guarantee you, you're not going to be thinking about that. You're not. You won't. You're going to be wondering, I should have done more for the Lord, as we all do. All of us. Everyone in this room, I guarantee you, myself included, on deathbed, I'll say, I could have done more. I could have done more. Verse 5. Now he, notice capital H, now he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Holy Spirit, the capital S there, so I insert holy, Holy Spirit, if you have King James Version, Holy Ghost, given us the Holy Spirit as a guarantee. This is so important. Maybe you're a new believer. I really want to explain this. Because mankind is made in the image of God. We were designed for intimate fellowship with our Creator. And Adam and Eve enjoyed the most intimate fellowship that no one has ever, ever experienced. Only Adam and Eve. Until Eve was deceived and Adam willfully disobeyed. From that point, they passed on to all of mankind an attitude of rebellion, which is so easily identifiable in every child. And you all in this room were a child at one time. Time to wake up. Time to brush your teeth. Time to take a nap. I like that one now. Time to no. Oh goody. Time to eat your vegetables. Time to go to bed. I like that one too. Time to go to bed. Praise God. Now you fill in the phrase that goes with the word time and see what a child does. You see, if that child is not willing to do it, what do they do? No. Did you just say no to me? (laughs) Did you just say no to me? We all learned that. That was our very first word. We all learned that very, very quickly. You see, at that moment, they're in sin. But someone might say, oh, it's so cute. (coughs) No, it's not. What are you talking about? Stinking little sinner standing right there. What are you talking about? They need Jesus. See, uh... Parent training is, you're going to go to the parenting class. I encourage you to go. Parent training is, uh, child training, sorry, the child training class. Child training is all about parent training, grandparent training, great-grandparent training. And our grandkids have figured it out real quick. When grandpa says something, I'm only going to say it once, just once. And then they're going to hear, do I need to get out of this chair? No, papa. No, no, no. We're good. We're moving. It was funny. Our daughter was doing something yesterday and and uh, the little guy was whining and complaining, and, and I saw her outside. So I walked outside, and she goes, oh, he's whining and complaining because he's got to get out of the chair. He fell asleep, and he's got to go to bed. He's got to take a shower. He's whining. Hey, come on. What are you doing? Get out of there. And it was all instant, just instant. 
Oh, okay, Papa, I'm coming. She just looks at me and goes, it's not fair. It's just not fair. He instantly knew. And he went in, marched in, did this, what he was supposed to do. Just think a little rebellious. You know, just, they just need Jesus. You see, once a person accepts the finished work of Jesus on the cross, once they acknowledge their need for a Savior, they receive the Holy Spirit or the guarantee of possession. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14 says, In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed. You were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. See, as a believer, once you ask Jesus into your life, the Holy Spirit literally came within you and now you are sealed. Until when? Who is the guarantee of our inheritance. What's our inheritance? Heaven. Until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. What is that? Well, we got to go back 60 years. uh, Roughly, you know, 40, 50, 60 years. You see, way back when, so a lot of you people aren't going to understand this, but they didn't have debit cards when I was a kid. Uh, they didn't have ATMs. Um, checkbooks weren't out. It was cash. Can you, can you believe that? Some of you don't even carry cash. I hardly use cash anymore, but it was just cash. And so on a Friday, because the banks were closed on Saturday and Sunday, matter of fact, the whole town basically closed down on Sunday because it was a day of rest. So I wanted to buy a car, and you would go to the newspaper. Now, most of you don't even know what a newspaper is, but a newspaper was that thing that was probably about like this, and it opened up, and it had a section where you could sell things and buy things or help wanted or whatever it was, advertisement. So as you looked at that, you go, oh, I see a car. That's the, oh, I want that. I like that car. So you take $500 on Friday. You go to that person's house. Well, first you had to find them. So you'd go to the phone on the wall. <laughs> Claudia was, <laughs> you reminded me of that. Claudia was talking to one of the grandkids and she said, well, when I was little, there was a phone on the wall. And he goes, got whiplash. <laughs> phone on the wall? <laughs> yeah, we had phones on the wall. It had a little cord that went into this box that went into the building. And so anyways, you had to call. And if they didn't answer, then you'd wait an hour, call, wait an hour, call. Come on, I want that car, call, call. So you finally get the address. You go to the address. You give the person $500. What was that called? Anybody remember what that's called? Earnest deposit? So, I'll bring the $1,500 on Monday. I didn't take the car with me. The car stayed with that person. But, who now owns that car? I shook his hand. Even then, you could shake a person's hand and go, okay, great, the car is mine. I'll be back on Monday. Theoretically, the car is mine. Now, on Saturday, somebody comes along with $2,000 and he sold that car to that individual. That would be unethical. What did you do? We shook hands. That's a guarantee that I was coming back on Monday with the $1,500. Are you getting the picture here? Who is the guarantee of our inheritance? Our inheritance is heaven. Until the redemption of the purchased possession, you have been purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. When God looks at you, he looks at Jesus and says, he's mine, she's mine. Uh, to the pre- uh, until the redemption of the purchase, possess- till the time you take your last breath, then God says, come on home. Exact second. He's not a second late. He's not a second early. The exact, you, I've been purchased by you. You're coming home. Why? To the praise of his glory, not my glory, his glory. 
So as we look in Corinthians here, as Paul says, now he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has also given us the spirit as a guarantee, even through persecution, even through hard times, even through whatever might come into my life, illness, losing a job, whatever it might be, I'm going to heaven. And as people have come into the office over the decades, and especially people that are really emotionally based or feeling based, and, and they'll, they'll say, you know, I just don't feel like I'm saved. I go, well, all right, first, let's talk about that. First of all, you're concerned about your salvation, which means you're saved. But let's do this. Next time you take a shower or a bath, look for the seal. And when you find the seal, tear it off, bring it into me, and then you've lost your salvation. Don't worry, it'll sink in. <laughs> you ain't going to find it. Go home, try. Look all over. You ain't going to find it. It's God's. You think he'd give you your salvation to keep? It's like giving a 14-year-old a brand new car. It's like, come on. Verse 6, so we are always confident knowing that while we're at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. I'm stuck on this earth. I'm not in heaven. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Now, Paul had a unique experience where he actually was stoned to death, not with marijuana, he was with rocks. He was actually stoned <laughs> to death. But he came back to life. But while he was dead, he was caught up to paradise, to the third heaven, which is heaven itself, New Jerusalem. So Paul had a unique experience. They could look at Paul and go, well, Paul, you went there and back. No, no, no. We walk by faith, not by sight. I don't need to see heaven to believe it's there. I know it's there. For we are confident, yes, well, pleased, rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. You know, I love the fact that Paul knows who's taking care of him. Notice that he says confidence, confidence, for we are always confident. That word confident there means to exercise courage, to be hopeful. You see, Paul is dealing with this issue of death in the most fantastic way possible. Even though there might be persecution, trials, tribulations, he has confidence in the one who's going to bring him home to heaven. Philippians 1 Philippians 1 says this, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you all with joy, for your fellowship in the gospel for the first day until now, being confident of this very thing. Being confident. Do you hear the tone? Do you hear what he's expressing here? Do you have this confidence? That he, God, who has begun a good work in you, will complete it until the day you go home. Till the day of Jesus Christ just means till the day you die. In the rapture, which, oh, by the rapture, it's this fall. It's happening this fall. I got several calls this past week. Are you saying the, the rapture's gonna happen this? I'm not saying the rapture's gonna happen this fall. Okay, so let's clarify that right now. I didn't put a date out there. I just said, I believe, because God's got a consistency, Jesus fulfilled the spring feast. He most likely will fulfill the fall feast. Doesn't mean it's going to, but, and the first feast in the fall is the Feast of Trumpets. So, could be this uh, September. I'm not saying it is, just possibility. So, okay, there it is. That's that. Being confident is the very thing that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. You see, Paul, part of this walk of faith are those things that I already mentioned, persecuted trials, tribulations. In Romans 8, we see this. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit, so the Holy Spirit tells our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed 
we have suffered with him that we may also be glorified together. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time, guys, the suffering of this present time, you might not think this is suffering, but put, your, put yourself in this man's shoes. Eight years of living as a Christian, trying to love other people to Christ. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. And that's talking about heaven. See, just because these things might come upon us, should we hide our Christian faith like we have leprosy or something? No. As I shared earlier, our faith is being attacked and it will cost us something if we take a stand for it. In 2 Timothy, we read this. For this reason, I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed. Young people, and this is hard for any of us, but I think especially for young people, if you're under 40, we'll say that's young. Um, We don't like to be ostracized. We want to be accepted. We don't want to be rejected. Um, We don't want to be by ourselves. We want to be singled out. Well, if you're a Bible-believing Christian these days we're living in, you better get used to it. You better get used to it. But you're not, look around you. You're not by yourself. Plenty of us that believe the same thing. For I know who I have believed and am persuaded. Again, notice the act, persuaded. That he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. And that day is till you die. Can I keep it? I will fail. Will God fail? Never. So what do I need to do? Well, we sang it this morning. The word surrender was not in the song but it did have that idea of surrender. So as I surrender, as you surrender, and you ask for more of the Holy Spirit, you're allowing God to keep you on that path until the day you die. The moment you take the wheel and say, I got this, God, I don't need you, you're gonna have problems. Let's look at Philippians chapter one as the music team comes up. Philippians chapter one. You see, even though Paul would much rather be in heaven, he knew that God had more work for him to do, and that's why you and I are here this morning. How many of you would rather be in heaven right now? Bunch of escapists. (laughs) It's only supposed to get up to 107 this week, so don't worry. It's the closest to hell we're going to be. Praise God. (laughs) Philippians 1, 21. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor. Yet what shall I choose? I cannot tell, for I am hard-pressed between the two. I mean, notice what Paul's writing from prison. He's sharing his heart here. I'd, I'd rather go to heaven. I don't want to be in prison. I'd rather go to heaven right now. But this guy that's chained to me, he's getting the gospel. And the gospel's going all the way up to Nero's court. Hmm, heaven, Nero, heaven, Nero. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. And being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy of faith, that your rejoicing for me may be more abundant in Christ Jesus by my coming to you again. Only let your conduct, here's an exhortation for all of us this morning, conduct is manner of life. How are you living so that other people see how Jesus would live. Not that we're perfect, not that we're sinless. We'll never be sinless, we'll never be perfect, so get that out of your head. But hopefully we should be sinning less. Not sinless, 
but we should be sinning less. Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whenever, whether I come and see you or an absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Guys, that's an exhortation for you and me this morning. Let's stand fast in these days we're living in. The enemy wants to pick us off one at a time. And it has happened over the last two years. Stay plugged in. If you don't want to call this church your home, fine. We love you. Go find another church that you can get plugged into. But get involved in a church. Don't leave the church. The church needs you and you need the church. And not in any way terrified by your adversaries, which is to them a proof of perdition, but to you of salvation and that from God. For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, now nobody wants to read this next part, but also to suffer for his sake having the same conflict which you saw in me and now here is in me. You see, Paul's been showing the believers, contrary to some modern-day preachers, that even though things don't go as planned, God's got a plan, which might include hardships. And I don't grocery shop, but my wife does. We're in hardships. But they're saying it's going to get way worse by the end of this year. We're still super blessed, right? Pray for most of the world that doesn't have any food. Father, we thank you and praise you for the days we're living in again. We know these are spiritual days. They're biblical days. And we just thank you and praise you. Whatever the final outcome is with this body and and what's going to happen, we'll all find out. But we just thank you for the the living hope that we have. We know, as we just read, to be absent from the body is to be present with you 186,000 miles per second. Father, we thank you and praise you for that living hope. And Father, as we go out this week, help us to live a life that's worthy of the call via your Holy Spirit. We can't do it in and of ourselves. Help us to be available to pray with someone, to share with someone, to point them to you, Father, that you love them. This is not about race. This is not about color. There's only one race, the human race. So, Father, we thank you. Help us to lift our eyes to heaven and to proclaim that to others who are caught up in these temporal traps, who are caught up in the politics, who are caught up in the social movements. We're ambassadors for Christ. So, Lord, use our ambassadorship this week for your glory. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Thank you for listening to this teaching from God's Word. If you have any questions, would like to request prayer, or want more information about our church and how you can experience the love and hope of Jesus Christ in your life, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org.